Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for this morning, Lord God. I want to thank you, Father, that we have the privilege, Father, Lord, the privilege not that, that not everyone, not every one of your, your followers around the world can do, and that's to, to, to dig into your word and get closer to you, Father. So I pray, Lord God, that, that during this time, Father, you will, will reveal new things to us, that your word will, Father, will just, just jump out of the page and into our hearts, Lord God, and, and you just continue to speak to us, Father. Father, I praise you for what you're doing in each and every one of our lives, and pray that you would just be with us, be with every, in every home, every vehicle, every office, every workplace, that that this word is being listened to, Father, right now. We thank you and we praise you for what you're doing in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's stretch, and then we're going to get into it. Genesis 6, and I am reading from the New King James Version. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the, in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Verse 13. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, but the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it, it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark on its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. 
of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him, so he did. Amen. Amen. Come on. All right. So let's get into it. Verse one says that men were multiplying on the face of the earth. See, during this time, there was rapid population expansion, especially since at this time, um, pre-flood, there was crazy long lives. Now, Pastor John yesterday, he spoke and he, and he read the, the genealogy of Adam and it said, this dude begets this dude and he lived to be 900 and some odd year, years old. And this dude grew, you know, 900 some odd years old. All right. So my man, you know, you got 900 years, you can make all kinds of babies, right? Let's just be real. They, they can make all kinds of babies. So there was, there was crazy expansion, right? Um, on, the, on the worth. And, and, but there was a problem with this with this, uh, because there was an ungodly intermarriage between where we're going to read about the sons of God and the daughters of men. Verse two says that the sons of God saw the daughters of men. Now, there's been a whole lot of speculation. So many people, you know, have their own ideas of exactly who were the sons of God and the daughters of men. Um, many, many believe that the sons of God refer to the line of Seth. Now, if we remember, Seth was the third son of Adam and Eve. It was through Seth that um, the, the line was going to be carried eventually to Jesus. Okay, so he was he, he carried the inheritance, Seth. And, and then the daughters of men were from the line of Cain, right? And so, so this describes an intermarriage between ungodly and godly. And that's something that God very specifically prohibits. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has, has righteousness with, un with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness. Now, this approach has many unanswered questions. You know, why did God, what, why did this make God so angry and angry enough to wipe out um, almost all of the earth's population? Why was there something unusual about, about these offspring from these sons of God and daughters of men, if it was from the line of Seth and the line of Cain. The idea that, that, that there were believers marrying unbelievers doesn't seem to fit what we read in the text. It's more accurate to see that the sons of God as either demons, you know, or fallen angels, or even demon-possessed men, and that the daughters of, uh, of men are just human women. Um, sons of God clearly, clearly refers to angelic creatures when it's used, it's, it's used three other times in the Old Testament in the book of Job, in Job 1.6, Job 2.1, and, and Job 38.7, it's, you know, when it talks about the sons of God, it's referring to angels. The, the Greek Septuagint, and the Greek Septuagint um, is, is a, a Greek, the earliest Greek translation of the Old Testament. Okay, so when you really get into it, the Greek Septuagint is a good resource for some of the earliest transla translations of the Old Testament and, and the translation Sons of God that it's translated into angels. So 
these ancient translators, they clearly thought that the sons of God referred to an angelic beings and not descendants of, of, uh, of Seth. Jude 6 tells us that the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode. Jude 7 tells us that they sinned in a similar manner to these having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh. Here in Genesis 6, there was, an, uh, there was unnatural sexual union that took place. So it's useless to speculate on, on the nature of, of this union, whether it was brought about by something like demon possession or, or there was angelic beings who had assumed human form. Um, you know, it's not really revealed completely, but we should understand, and this is key, that, that there was something demonic taking place. Whether it was demons taking the form of man or if it was demon-possessed men, there was something demonic taking place. And, and, and even today, when people are, are participating in occult practices and witchcraft and stuff, these type of sexual unions, people actually seek after this, right? So you see where man back then and even now are, are, are seeking the wrong things. Jude 6 also makes it clear what God did to these wicked angels, right? It says they are reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Their sinful pursuit of freedom has put them in bondage. Let me say that again. These angels, their sinful pursuit of freedom has put them in bondage. How often are we seeking things? We're seeking freedoms out of our own power, out of our own strength, right? Out of our own vision of what we perceive as freedoms. And what does it do? It puts us more in bondage, right? And if you've been through freedom, that's things that we talk about. The things that we have pursued, the things that we've allowed to enter our lives has actually caused us to be more in bondage than what we originally wanted, originally thought. So come on. And if you haven't been through a freedom, come in the fall. I'm telling you, join a freedom group. And we're going to dig, dig, in, dig more into that. It says they took wives for themselves from all they chose. We, we can deduce why Satan sent these, these, these demon, demons, these demonic entities to intermarry with human women. Satan was trying to pollute the genetic pool of mankind with his satanic corruption. To put almost like a, a genetic virus right? Think about it like that, like a genetic virus. He was, he was trying to um, make the human race unfit for bringing what we read about in Genesis 3, which is the seed of the woman, the seed of the woman who is the Messiah, who is Jesus. He was trying to destroy the genetic makeup of mankind so that the seed of the woman could not come forth. What's that tell you? That tells me that Satan knows the word. Satan knows the word more than we do. And Satan has more faith in the word than sometimes we do. Why? Because he once communed with God. He was once in heaven. He was the chief worshiper in heaven. He blocked the glory of, of God with, his, with, with his, himself himself. 
Okay, so he knows if God says it's going to happen, you better believe it's going to happen. So what's what's Satan going to do? He's going to try to distort and disrupt by little tiny machinations of, of, of his, his plans to destroy what God has for us. God has a plan for each and every one of us. He has placed something in our hearts, right? And if we continue to pursue that, with the guiding of the Holy Spirit and with the reading of our words so that we can gain all wisdom and discernment, we're good to go. But if, if the Lord has put something in your heart and you're trying to pursue it through your own strength, your own power, the devil has every opportunity to place little seeds of doubt, little seeds of corruption so that that, that, that vision the Lord has placed in you will never happen. He was trying to do it here, way back in Noah's time. He was trying to, to disrupt the, the genetic makeup of mankind so that, you know, if, if his plan came to be, the Messiah would never happen. Even though he knows that when God makes a proclamation, it will be so, he's still going to try. And he almost succeeded. The human race was so popular that God found it necessary to start again with Noah and his sons and, and, and uh, to imprison these demons that did this so that they can never do it again. Verse three says, my spirit shall not strive with man forever. God did not allow the human race to stay in this rebellious place forever. This means that there's, there's almost like there's a point of no return when it comes to the rejection of God. There's a point of no return. There's a point where he will say no more. I ain't going to have it. I'm done. You know, how many of y'all have kids and they keep going and they keep going, right? They're talking, they're, they're misbehaving, they're misbehaving. And you're just like, hey, man, hey, hey, chill, 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 right? And they're just doing, 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 doing. And you're like, that's it. That's it. Just blah, you just freak out, right? You know, not, not that God freaks out, but you get my point. There's a point where God is like, you have gone too far, right? All the more reason why for us today, today is the day that we respond to Jesus instead of waiting for another day. Because people reject God over and over and over again. They reject them with their lifestyle. They reject them with how they speak. They reject them with how they treat other people. They reject God. The Lord prods them to try to come, come to him, accept him, and they reject God, reject God. And if you continue to read your Bible, you will see that at some point, God is going to say enough, enough. Yet his days will be 120 years. This is not the lifespan of man they're talking about. What he's saying is that from this point, when God's making this proclamation, in 120 years, the floods are going to come. He's like, I'm giving man 120 more years to figure it out, to get right. You know, and I don't know about y'all, but 120 years seems like a long time to get your stuff together. But as we read the word, we're going to see that they did not, you know, it says, verse 5, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This says a lot. 
right? There was no aspect of man's nature that was not corrupted by sin, right? Every intent of his thoughts, intent of his thoughts, okay? So everything, every part of man was corrupt. Matthew 24, 37 says, but as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the son of man be. In other words, the conditions of the world before the coming of Jesus will be like the conditions of the world before the flood. Exploding population, sexual perversion, demonic activity, constant evil in the hearts of man, widespread corruption and violence. Turn on your news, brothers and sisters. Turn on your news. And I would, I would bet you will not go through a news cycle with not hearing a story about each one of these things. Sexual perversion, corruption, violence. We're seeing it all the time. As in the days of Noah, so will it be when the Son of Man returns, when Jesus returns. The word is very clear. He's coming back soon, and we have to be ready. Verse 6 says, the Lord was sorry that he had made man. It goes on to say, he was grieved in his heart. God's sorrow at man and the grief in his heart are, are, are striking. This doesn't mean that um, creation was out of control, nor does it mean that, that God, had, God hoped that he had created something better, but was unable to achieve it. God knew all along. He knew all along that this is how things were going to turn out. But the text clearly tells that, that as God sees his plan for mankind unfold, it affects him. God is not unfeeling in the face of human sin and rebellion. We serve a powerful God, an all-knowing God, an everlasting, eternal God. He knew what was going to happen. He knew what was going to take place. And yet it still grieves him. It still grieves him. Today. When horrible things happen and people say, where was God? How come God did it? My word says that God is grieved. He's sorry. Because we serve a personal God. And every person who's killed or murdered or, or when bad things happen to them and we see all this horrible violence, God is grieved. And he's not, in a, he's not grieved in, in, in a way that's like, oh, my God, I can't believe this happened. When horrible things get, happen, God's not like, oh, my me, I can't believe this does happen. No, he's very well aware, but it still grieves him. It's just like, again, with your kids, when you see them making bad decisions and you know not, nothing good is going to come from it. And you try to tell them, you try to warn them, and it happens. You're not surprised but you're still grieved that your, your child is going through this, going, going through this. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. While God commanded all the earth to be cleansed of this pollution, he found one man, one man with whom he can begin again, Noah. He said Noah didn't earn grace, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Romans 5.20, excuse me, says, but where sin abounded, grace abounded more. There was sin all over the place, but the grace of Noah abounded more over all of this. 
See, this, this description, it says in verse 9 that he was a just man, perfect in his generations. This, this, this description of Noah is unique to him. And it not only refers to a righteous life, but also the fact that he was yet uncorrupted by Satan's attempts to sow something like a virus or a genetic manipulation into his bloodline. We can know that Noah was righteous, um, uh, uh, that he had a righteous faith because as soon as the flood was over, as soon as the, the, the waters dissipated, what did Noah do? And we'll read about it in a few chapters. He offered sacrifices unto the Lord. Sacrifices unto the Lord. He was a just man. Verse 13 says, I will destroy them with the earth. Some wonder if, if destroying all these people was too harsh of a, of a judgment. Or if this shows that God's a cruel monster. Because he's going to destroy everything. However, since the fall of mankind in Genesis 3, every human being has been under a, a, a death sentence. Now, the timing of the, and the method of that death sentence is completely in the hands of God. In addition, it points to a deep and serious problem in the world at that time, something far beyond the problems of believers marrying unbelievers. There was so much widespread corruption and evil happening. God had no other choice but to destroy everything. Verse 14 says, make yourself. This was Noah's project. He tells him to make yourself an ark, right? Noah wasn't supposed to go subcontract it out and get a bunch of people to do it. This was Noah's task. Noah and his family, make for yourself. And the ark was, was, was a big project, okay? One, we know that there had never been anything like this, you know, on the earth up to that time. The ark was as long as a 30-story building is high. So picture this, this, the ark is about 450 feet long, about 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. You know, it's really, it not, it's not really a boat, but more like a barge that wasn't intended to be sailing around. Okay. You know, my man Noah wasn't cruising around, you know, the Jordan river on this thing, right? It was like a barge and it was just meant to float. And it wasn't until 1858 that, a, that, that there was a boat built bigger than the ark. It's a lot of years, right? And my man Noah was able to do this. It says that the ark um, was to carry two of every family of animals. So there was around 700 pairs of animals. And if the ark could carry two of every species of animal, there were around 35,000 pairs of animals. Now that now, now, now follow me here. The average size land animal is the size of a sheep. Now, obviously, we know they're bigger animals or smaller animals, but that's we're just taking averages, okay? About the size of a sheep, right? So the ark could carry around 136,560 sheep in just half of its capacity. So that left plenty of room for people, for food, for water, for provisions. Okay, don't picture the ark as like this, just completely packed in, you know, there was no room, there's no one could do anything. All right. I, I'm pretty sure God took all that into account. Right. God didn't give Noah the, the dimension of the boat. And was just like, Oh, man, I didn't realize how many animals we had. No, God knew what he was doing. All right. Two of every kind 
we're going to come into the ark. And again, he says, you shall make it. God had not told Noah why he must build the ark. All Noah knew was that God would judge the earth. And since it had never rained, it's reasonable to, to suppose that Noah had no idea what God meant. No idea when he talks about rain. No idea. Do you have that faith that if God tells you to do something, God speaks to your heart, and you have no idea what God means, but you're still going to follow him? The future seems bleak. It seems dark. You have no idea, but you're still going to follow him. Because a lot of times that's what God tells us to do. Follow me. Follow me. Just follow me. Just put two feet in front of the other and just follow me. I know your situation seems dark. I know your situation seems hopeless. I know, I know it seems that you're just going deeper and deeper into darkness, but follow me is what God is telling us today. Follow me. Noah had no idea what he was, what God was talking about, but he still followed him. And, Mo, and Noah did make it. He did make the ark. The ark was an actual thing. It is believed that the ark is still, still in existence somewhere on, on, on the mountain, right? And there is a rich historical evidence for the reality of Noah's ark. Back in 275 BC, a Babylonian historian wrote, but of this ship that grounded in Armenia, some part, part still remains in the mountains and some get pitched from the ship by scraping it off. AD 75, Josephus said that the locals collected relics from the ark and show them off to this day. He said all, all the ancient historians he knew of wrote about the ark. In AD 180, uh, this dude wrote, uh, Theophilus of Antioch, the remains of the ark are to be are there to be seen to this day in the mountains. In 1876, a British um, author climbed Ararat and he reported finding four foot long pieces of hand tooled timber about 13,000 feet up. In 1916, six Turkish soldiers claimed to see the ark. In 1936, a British archaeologist hiked across Ararat, and he also discovered timbers about 14,000 square feet. Now, what's significant about the, the height, there's two things about these, these reports, right? When you get past 10,000 feet up above sea level, you're not going to see many trees, if at all. They're, not, they, they're unable to grow that high, let alone you know, hand-tooled timber, which means it wasn't just trees. It was trees that had been turned into logs to, 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 to make something. How else is something like that going to be found 13, 14,000 feet above sea level? In World War II, two pilots saw and photographed what they believed to be the ark on Mount Ararat. There is historic archaeological evidence that this was a real thing he god told him to cover it inside and outside with pitch the pitch worked to waterproof the wood and, and god told told noah to cover it the inside and the outside right so this makes it possible that the ark could be preserved for a very very long time and it also means that god may have had a ha, may, may still have a purpose for the ark to use it to remind the world of past judgment before a future judgment Verse 17, God said, everything that is on the earth shall die. We can only wonder what, what Noah felt when he heard the announcement from God. 
God, God called Noah to, to an essential role in the greatest judgment and the greatest salvation that the world had ever seen. The greatest judgment and the greatest salvation. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall go into the ark. Verse 18, despite the, the dramatic judgment coming, God will make a covenant with Noah. And he, his wife, his sons, their wives will be saved. And God will also use Noah to save the remnant of each animal on the earth. So that the earth could be repopulated with people and animals after the flood. Take for yourself all the food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself. He also commanded Noah to take all the food he could. Because there had to be a lot of food for not just himself and his family, but all the animals to keep them fed. Verse 22, thus Noah did. Thus Noah did. When given a job to do, Noah did it. We don't hear him complaining. We don't hear him rebelling. He just did. Nothing in the text says that he thought about it for about 50 years before he started doing it. You know, do I really want to do this? Lord, is that really you speaking? No. God said, Noah did. See, the, the Bible presents Noah as, as a great hero of God. He was an exam, a, a, a outstanding example of righteousness, according to Ezekiel 14, 14. He was a preacher of righteousness. 2 Peter 2.5, and he condemned the world by offering salvation in the ark that the world rejected, Hebrews 11.7. All those people in the world, no one accepted what Noah was saying. No one believed it. People rejected him. Imagine you're, you're, you're called to do something and people are just rejecting you but you're faithful. You're faithful. Because listen, I imagine just like after the temple, when, when the temple and Jerusalem was being rebuilt and we read the stories about they were building with one hand and, and, and defending with the other hand, right? I believe Noah was hammering nails in the ark and preaching. He was putting things together and preaching. For 120 years, my man was building the ark. And for 120 years, my man was preaching, preaching, trying to save souls, trying to bring people to repentance for 120 years. And how many people listened to him? Big fat zero. Now, I don't know how many people were on earth at that time, but there was a whole lot. Enough that they couldn't be saved. Satan had done everything in his power and he was succeeding. All of mankind was going to be destroyed. And Noah was faithful. God may have called you to do something, but you haven't been preaching for 120 years. And Noah never stopped. He was a righteous, righteous man. What have you gone through that's caused you to stop? following the call of the Lord that has called you to stop being a testimony to your friends and family has called you to stop pursuing the Lord. Pretty sure no one on this call is 120 years old. 
you know, some of us feel it sometimes when you're trying to get out of the bed and your back is cracking and your knees are locking up and you, you know what I'm saying? But Noah kept pushing and he kept doing. My brothers and sisters, as I, as I close, I pray that we would have that faith of Noah. We would have that stamina of Noah to keep pushing. This walk is not easy. There are days, I'm going to tell you, I am a pastor of Fusion Church, and I love Fusion Church. I love you guys. I love the people. I love what I get to do. But I'd be lying to you if there, if I said there were ne- there was never a day where I was like, I don't know about this. This is tough. Noah never had those days because Noah kept going. So I pray, brothers and sisters, that as you go about your day, that you would you know, remember Noah, the righteousness of Noah, the faithfulness of Noah, and tell yourself, if my man could do it for 120 years, I could do it for this amount of my life. I can listen to the Lord. I can obey the Lord. I can, you know, whatever the God is telling me to do, I will do it faithfully. And it may not make any sense. Chances are, it's not going to make no sense. But if you talk to some of the the saints on this call who have followed the Lord for years and have seen the promises that the Lord has placed on your lives come to be, they will tell you no matter how hard it gets, no no matter how much ridicule that comes against us, no no matter how much many family and friends are like, I can't be with you, you know, I'm done with you. No matter what happens, it's worth it because God was in the middle of it. God took me through it. And now I am blessed. And now I am a testimony for for future saints to follow the Lord as well. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord. And we thank you, Father, that we have uh, righteous men of God like Noah, righteous people like Noah that have gone before us, Lord God, that can serve as an example, Father, Lord of your faithfulness that when you say something's going to happen father you better bet your bottom dollar it's going to happen lord god father your word says that all your promises are yes and amen so father we stand on that truth lord god father thank you for noah that didn't let all the people coming against them the 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 idea of all for of 120 years of work to stop him from being obedient, Lord God. I pray, Father, that we could have just a fraction of his faithfulness, a fraction of his righteousness, so we can serve your kingdom, Lord God, and we can do it to the best of our ability with all of your strength, Father, behind us. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for everyone on this call, Lord God. I pray that you would bless them, keep them, and guide them, bless their families, bless their homes, Father. Bless their workplaces, wherever their whatever wherever their feet stand, Father, wherever they, they walk, Lord God. I pray the Father that that people around them would feel Your presence, Lord God, so they can be a, an example and a testimony of who You are. We praise You, Father, for what You're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen and Amen and Amen.